Hello and welcome to the Be Inspired to Be podcast. My name is Belinda O'Neill and I am your host. This series of podcasts is titled Inspiring Stories and I have been very fortunate to be joined by really inspirational people. I do hope that you take away as much inspiration from their stories as I have through interviewing them. Hello everyone and welcome to the Be Inspired to Be podcast. This is the second episode on series four, which is in partnership with Armstrong Medical. And I am delighted to be joined by Sharon Nush. And Sharon is currently working as a neonatal midwife in the Royal Jubilee Maternity Service. A former senior lecturer with Queen's University who designed and delivered neonatal degree courses and continues to lecture for Queen's University. Sharon is passionate (coughs) about midwifery and indeed women's health. And I really look forward to hearing Sharon's (coughs) inspiring story. Sharon, you are so welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Belinda. So let's start and find out a little bit more about, (coughs) um, about you, Sharon, and indeed your inspiring story. So Tell me about your health service career, which led you to lecturing and inspiring students in the field of midwifery. Well, Belinda, when I was a child, my parents still tell me that every Christmas, all I ever wanted for Christmas was a nurse's uniform. (laughs) So so I guess it must have started. I don't remember that, but but they assure me that it was was always on the cards, really. Um, And it it was all I ever wanted to be when I was growing up. And so all of my education, although it was interrupted at a point, um, led to me entering nursing in 1974. (laughs) Two more years, I would have worked 50 years in the health service. Wow. Unbelievable. Uh, And it's just gone like a flash. Um, But yes, 1974, I entered the city hospital to start my nurse training. Of course, the troubles were on at that time. So it was quite, um, you know, an experience living, leaving a wee village like Hillsborough and going to the big smoke. Um, But uh, three years just again went so quickly. I worked there for two years as a staff nurse and then went into midwifery in 1979. And really, you know, I stayed as a midwife ever since that. I trained in Jubilee, the wonderful Jubilee Maternity Hospital, which is now the new cancer hospital. Heartbreaking to see that place um, being demolished. So many wonderful people. Um, So I, I stayed there for four years and then went into teaching, clinical teaching. Where I stayed for about nine or ten years, and then I took a wee break um, for about eight years while my two boys were growing up, and just did bank shifts, night duty mainly. And then while I was doing that, I did my degree part time, um, because I realised I wasn't going to get my job back again, and I needed to get at that stage all the nursing and education had moved into university. Mm-hmm. So I did my degree part time, and was really fortunate to enter Queen's University in two thousand as a, a lecturer, and. You know, was promoted, I think, about eight years after that to senior lecture. And really, in the 20 years that I was with Queen's, I still worked out in the clinical areas as a midwife with the students, delivered lectures, designed programmes, but mainly taught neonatal courses. Um, but it was just so lovely to keep the hands-on and get keep that hands-on experience and contact with the mothers and the babies while still being a teacher. It was just lovely. Um, I got the opportunity to travel Africa, India, America, Canada to speak at lecture uh, at uh, um, conferences and 
I was just afforded so many opportunities in those 20 years and met some wonderful, wonderful people who are still lifelong friends, who were my students, so it couldn't have been too bad <laughs> when they still like me and they still meet me for coffee, which is so lovely. Um, and really, you know, I, I up until um, about 2019, I sort of had the feeling that I really wanted my heart always lay really in the hospital and although I loved the university and enjoyed my time there I really felt that I wanted to go back so I picked a very bad time I went back to the NHS I left Queen's University went back to the NHS in the middle of Covid um, great timing <laughs> um, but you know it's just been so lovely to be back again I only do bank shifts um, mainly in the neonatal unit I do some clinical work and some teaching for them and you know it's just so lovely to be back with the mummies and babies so yeah so that's really in a nutshell what you know where, where my career has led me to now I'd like to think I have inspired some students quite a lot of the students that I have taught over the years are now in very senior management posts and are changing the course of midwifery which is so lovely to see and I feel so proud to look at them and see that the midwives that they've become um, you know through the wonderful education they got in, in the School of Nursing and Midwifery in Queen's so um, and, and of course the support they got out there with the midwives in the clinical area but um, it's lovely to be back working with them all again really lovely so inspiring um, Sharon it really really is you talk a lot about uh, your heart is really in terms of being on the unit but in any healthcare setting you know many challenges are imposed so upon reflection um, what do you feel has been your greatest challenge and how indeed did you overcome it well it would be hard to pinpoint one challenge Um, I think you know Probably for any midwife or neonatal nurse, the greatest challenge, I think, for us would be the loss of a baby. Um, And I have delivered many babies who, unfortunately, were not born alive and have looked after mummies and daddies whose babies have died in the neonatal unit. And I don't think that ever uh, becomes easy to deal with uh, or cope with in some cases. Um, You do get to know the parents very well. And it is heartbreaking and there's an actual palpable sadness in the neonatal unit when a baby dies um, because the staff do build up very close relationships with the families and it's not just caring for the babies, it's caring for them too. So I've always found that a big challenge and I can still, even over the 40 odd years that I've been a midwife, can still actually remember very vividly you know, a lot of the cases um, that I was involved with because you just don't care for those people and go home and forget about it in a day or two. They stay with you forever. Um, And I think, you know, that's probably a good thing because it shapes the sort of person that you become as well. I think the other great challenge is never feeling that you can do enough. I think every midwife again and nurse too will probably come off duty many's a day at the end of a shift and think, gosh, there was so much more I wanted to do for that patient or this patient or I wish I could have got that finished or... And just feeling totally frustrated that you didn't get the time uh, or you didn't have enough staff to do everything that you wanted to do for your patients. And that just leaves you so totally frustrated. And I think that's probably one of the greatest challenges for our NHS staff at the moment. Um, And so I don't think I've ever overcome that. And I still to this day feel guilty about some of the mummies and babies that I did care for, where I still felt I could have done things differently or done things better. But again, you, you hope that you can push on and just try to do better the next day. And I've no doubt that you've left uh, a very positive imprint on um, all of the patients that that cross your path. And I suppose just maybe going back to obviously experiencing trauma Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the loss of of Mm -hmm. a a baby. Um, What coping mechanisms 
did you use and do you use to maintain your own well-being mm. in those type of scenarios, mm. um, Sharon? Well, I think over the years, you know, the support for nursing and midwifery staff has not been good um, when there is bereavement because we do feel it. And I'm sure mm. parents do realise that because they see us looking and feeling sad they see us cry with them and as we support them and you know you just don't come home and forget about that but I don't think over the years there has been the support that there should have been for our staff it's getting better I mean I think there is a lot more support there now than there used to be we do have bereavement midwives who work in our units but again their role is really and they're just absolutely inundated their role really is primarily with the parents it's not for the staff and we do have clinical psychologists in some of our units, but again, their role is really more for the parents. Most of the time, the support we get is from each other. You know, we go into the tea room, we have a good cry, or we go out to the cloakroom and have a cry. Um, there's lots of hugs. You know, we try to support each other that way. Um, coming up here in the car, I was <laughs> I was looking over this question, and, and my husband said, just tell them that uh, you come home and nag at me, and that's your, that's your release valve, <laughs> which probably is true. I'm sure lots of midwives and nurses would say this, that their poor husbands and partners probably get the brunt of a day when things haven't gone well or they've had a really particularly bad day. And we're so grateful that they're there for us. Um, we couldn't do it without them. Yeah. You know, but I think too the support we give each other, um, it's so lovely. Um, you know, it has never changed in that respect that, you know, I think that's what draws us closer as professionals too, that we, we we're there for each other yeah. when we go through difficult times like that. Having hobbies outside is important too, yes. Um, you know, I like to go for walks. To be honest, I'm a bit of a sad person. I really don't have a hobby. I think work has been so much a big part of my life that I really have never taken the time to develop a hobby. And now that I'm semi-retired, I should really <laughs> make the effort, but I'm still looking. So if anybody's got a suggestion <laughs> of something they could, uh, you know, that... Yeah. Not, not well, writing, I have to say, now that's my that's my outlet. <laughs> yeah. So definitely, yeah. the creative side of things helps yeah. me, Sharon. But mm. you know, I suppose when you go back, you've talked about the support and the peer to peer support, which mm. is really important. And obviously, mm. when you go home to have that support and mm. your family network, I suppose you know, in in your long experience, what would be the ideal support for the staff? Mm-hmm in that situation in that neonatal unit when those challenges arise what what would you like to see well it's funny during covid we had these what we called um i can't remember the name that we gave them but there were rooms where when the staff were feeling the stress and it was very stressful during covid and where they could go and there were little sachets of hot chocolate and tea and coffee and chocolate bars and crisps and boxes of tissues and, and it was just like a wee breakout room really were and I just thought that was so lovely um but you know the reality of it is there's not time to there's not the luxury for our staff to take that time out when they're on duty um, there are so few of us to do what needs to be done and I, I think that's right across the NHS but it's particularly bad I think in, in maternity services at the minute our midwives are under pressure like they've never been under before um, and you know I, th- I think we do all feel frustrated um, and again I think you know if, if we had more staff I think that would be <laughs> the, the greatest thing because it would allow us a wee bit more time if, if we felt a bit under pressure to take 10 or 15 minutes out and go and have a wee bit of quiet time but you know unfortunately that's not the reality of things um, and I suppose more clinical psychologists that were there for the staff as well to actually give them a space, a safe space where they know they can talk um, in confidence. Um, it's it's really sad that, you know, in some of the 
the, the research that I've carried out that some of our junior nurses particularly actually feel it's perceived as a sign of weakness if they cry or they feel um, or they show that they're under pressure and they actually worry about the senior staff thinking less of them or thinking that maybe they're not suited to the job. So, you know, we, we don't ever want any of our staff to feel like that, but it's, it's really sad that some of them would actually worry about that sort of thing on top of the stress they're already feeling. So um, it's really nice to see our clinical psychologists, I think, you know, are, are starting to make inroads that way. And to be fair, the trusts are all starting to make more occupational health resources available for our staff. But again, not every member of staff will want to sit, go down that road. Um, something on a more personal level within our own unit, I think, would be nice. But yeah. if, if we have managers that are kind and supportive, I, I think it goes a long way just to say, yeah. you know, guys, you're doing a great job. It was a horrible day. We know that it's... And we do, to be fair, if a baby dies in our unit, for instance, we have a, a debrief session quite soon afterwards where the consultant and the doctors involved and the nursing staff involved all get together and they actually talk through what happened. And I think that's a major step forward as well. So no one ever goes off duty feeling, could I have done something different? Could I have done something better? Um, so I'm really pleased to see that rolling out more now. Okay, okay. And I think, <coughs> you know, you've said around the leadership side of things and it's culture, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's creating that safe, yeah. supportive, yeah. compassionate culture um because showing emotion is not a sign of weakness at all um in fact in my opinion it's a sign of strength Mm -hmm. you know so um so yeah so it's it's interesting sharon Mm -hmm. to hear that there is some staff who feel like that Mm -hmm. um and hopefully maybe that'll um create a positive cultural change Mm -hmm. um among the leadership you know Mm -hmm. um and, you know, you've, you've talked around supporting um, both, you know, the staff and indeed the patients. So you're really passionate about it. You're <laughs> so passionate about it, Sharon, and that shines through you. Um, where does that come from, do you think? I don't really know. Um, I mean, I have a very strong faith and I I enjoy being with people. I I like times on my own as well. I like to have quiet times um, when I can reflect and just clear my head but I do really enjoy being around people I like um, coming alongside them in times of happiness and and celebration but also in times when maybe they do feel sad and because people have been there for me and I think it's lovely if you can pass that on um, to others Um, and I I don't know I, I think as I said earlier you know your experiences every experience you have with a mother or a baby or another member of staff you know it all adds to make you the person that you are. And I've just, I think, been so fortunate to have been surrounded by so many lovely people um, who have been there for me when I needed them. And, you know, I think there's that camaraderie, much as things people say are bad in the NHS, but you know what? No matter what ward you walk into, people will always crack a joke or smile or have a wee bit of a laugh. And it just get you through maybe the next half hour or time that you think is going to be a bit rough and I just think you know if we can all try to be a bit kinder to each other um, you know it gets us through the day and it's, it's sometimes you know y- y- people don't appreciate y- they maybe come and said something to you and you thought afterwards gosh you know I just needed that right there and then that was just what I needed um, and I just think it's it's nice if people can just maybe be a bit less because I think we live in a society now where it's all about me and what I can get and what I need um, and the entitlement thing. And it's lovely, I think, if we can have um, 
you know, just make more time for other people and not make it all about ourselves. And I, I am surrounded, I have to say, where I work at the minute particularly, I am surrounded by people who are so like that. Um, and even if they see someone sitting, uh, looking a bit down or whatever, there's always a kind word or a wee hug. or um, That's what made it so hard during COVID because we just weren't allowed yeah. the, the contact, the hugs. And, and um, it, you know, so many times you saw people about to come up to you to give you a hug and then they kind of stopped because they knew they couldn't. Um, so I don't think it's, well, it must be from within the person, I suppose. Um, I don't think you can teach someone how to be compassionate or caring. Um I think that that already has to be there. So in some respects, I don't think we might educate our nurses and midwives. We might train them. We might prepare them and give them the skills they need. But I think the greatest skill that they need to have is to be caring and compassionate. I don't think you can teach that to someone. Yeah. And it's probably highly likely that they've entered that, um, you know, sector because they have that um, value within them, um, you know, so... So, yeah, very interesting, Sharon. And I suppose when you move then from being frontline, being totally involved in the neonatal unit, you then went on to design um, degree courses mm-hmm. in, in Queen's and went from lecturer to senior lecturer. And so just tell me a little bit about that transition and, and how mm-hmm. how that sort of came about for you. Well, again, I've been very fortunate because there are very few midwives who also specialise in neonatology. Um, because nowadays midwives don't tend to work in the neonatal units. It's the staffing are mostly made up from children's nurses and general nurses. So I feel very privileged to have kind of straddled two really, you know, highly regarded specialties. <laughs> um, and I don't think neonatal nurses often get the the recognition they actually deserve. Midwives are very well known and very well respected, but a lot of people still don't really understand what neonatal nurses do. So I suppose in my clinical teaching days, I covered the neonatal unit quite a lot. I worked in Jubilee neonatal unit before I went into teaching, so I always had a really special interest there. So when I entered Queen's, I it was sort of um, the, the lecturer who was there was leaving the neonatal lecture, so I kind of stepped into her post and took it from there and um, we didn't have a neonatal degree. Uh, there were nursing degrees and midwifery degrees but we didn't have a neonatal degree and I was determined that neonatal nurses were going to have a degree with their with their title in it, which I didn't even get one myself, which always saddens me a little bit, but I did teach on it <laughs> and it, it's been wonderful just to see how many of our neonatal nurses actually did go through that programme and come out with a degree in neonatology, which was fantastic and, um, and I think having worked there you know, as, a, as a, a midwife and then as a clinical teacher I was very aware of what the needs of the nurses were in terms of education so it was really probably easier for me going in than maybe someone who hadn't worked in the neonatal units to design a program like that so that we were meeting the needs of our neonatal nurses but again you know those courses need to be revamped and changed because things move on and they change so rapidly Um, and you know it's I mean, although I'm out of it now, but out of um, the neonatal courses in Queen's at the minute, but um, it's nice to see that they're moving on and changing things. And you do need to keep asking the sisters and the nurses who work in these areas, what are your needs? What do you need to know or what can we teach you? Um, And it's been just a privilege to be on that path and and to have um, designed and run the first neonatal course uh, or degree programme in Northern Ireland. It was just wonderful. So enjoyable. Absolutely amazing, Sharon, because you're taking all of that experience from the front line, mm-hmm. from being, you know, face to face with everything that, that encapsulates uh, the job that you mm-hmm. fulfil for the healthcare service and then taking, as you say, those needs and building that into an academic degree. Mm-hmm. It's 
fantastic um and, and you, you know you're smiling and you should be so so proud Sharon you know I know you are um and then at the start of the conversation you, know, you said you're 48 years um in the healthcare service you know in, in, in uh, 2024 you're going to be celebrating 50 years um huge level of service huge level of experience and no doubt have seen so so much uh, I have no doubt there's lots of stories to be told Sharon but I suppose if you could maybe reflect you know and maybe just share an overview of the changes that you've experienced um, mm. and maybe what has been the biggest learning for you over the last yeah. 48 years Sharon. Well, gosh, it's funny when you look on Facebook, you know, some of my friends post photographs now and again of nurses back in the 70s. And, you know, and I mean, people will say, oh, nurses are not like they were then. I disagree. I think we have a different breed of nurse nowadays. We have a different breed of midwife. And that's a good thing because we need to change. We need to move with the, t- the times and meet the needs of our our patients as they as they let us know what they are. But I suppose in those days, you did very much feel like the nurse when you came into on duty. I mean, as a midwife, we wore the royal blue dresses and the white starch collars that rubbed your neck so hard they left you with blisters. Um, it's tight starchy aprons, the royal blue belts with the silver buckle and the little frilly hat and when you qualified as a midwife oh the joy of going and collecting your frilly hat and your blue belt was just you know, I mean I used to tell students the story, the stories in Queens and they would laugh because they just can't imagine coming out in all this uh, clobber on you know and trying to do your daily do your daily job it wasn't a comfortable uniform to work to work in let me tell you but we did look marvelous we did look amazing I have to say and I still have my uniform and my cape my nurse's cape I still have it in the attic couldn't bear it apart with it I still have it all but yes things have changed I mean I think even particularly in midwifery um for instance when a mummy lost a baby or a baby was born stillborn I mean when I first started my training I mean that mother would have been quite heavily sedated maybe for two or three days and would have slept through, maybe never really got to see her baby much or hold her baby. And quite often by the time she came around and and recovered from her cesarean section or her delivery, the baby's funeral might have taken place and her poor husband or partner was at home dealing with all of that on his own. And, And in our, you know, experience at that particular time, we must have thought that was the best way to deal with that sort of situation it's just lovely to see even how things like that have changed so rapidly um and thank goodness um to see just a completely different approach now to women when they when they, and, and and their 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 partners when they lose their baby or their baby dies in the neonatal unit just the way that we because i have a great interest in palliative care and end of life care with our babies and um just just the, the whole way and the fact that we have bereavement midwives now which we should have had a long long time ago amazing midwives um you know so i think the whole um looking looking at our mummies and our our, our parents and really asking them what their needs are instead of deciding what we think they need, I think has one of been one of the biggest changes I've seen over the last 40-odd years. Um, I think, you know, the way the public treat us has changed a lot, sadly. Um, I don't think, you know, health service staff, we have the same respect that we used to have, which is a little bit sad. Most people are very kind and very generous and... Um, respectful uh, of what we do but we still still do suffer I think particularly our frontline services um, from a type of abuse that's not very nice Um, but you know I think overall as a midwife the the care that we give mothers is different it's a different type of care Um, I think we've stopped treating pregnancy as if it was an illness (laughs) 
and you know we don't put our mummies into bed so much and you know they wear their own nighties when they're giving birth and not hospital gowns and a lot of that has all changed which is really good it's I mean it, we thought it was great at the time but now when we look back we nearly cringe <laughs> at some of the things we did um, and I think it's lovely to treat pregnancy in a more normal way because most of our mummies are young healthy women um, but the care, I suppose, that the thing I suppose that disappoints me a little bit is just that some of our mummies go home quite early after giving birth. Uh, some of them might go home between eight and twelve hours after giving birth to their babies. Um, you know, back then, you know, you you had a mummy in hospital for a week, ten mm-hmm. days, if she had a cesarean section, and you literally bed bathed her, you lifted and laid her, and she rested really well before she went home to her other children. And um, now I just see some of our mums going home, you know so quickly after delivery and I mean they seem to be fine they say they get as much rest at home as they do in hospital but I still kind of worry that maybe some of them could do with a couple of days the very mummies that are going home to three or four other children could probably do with a couple of days in, in hospital to rest a bit yeah. but but it's just a different um, way of um, <coughs> providing maternity care and I think our care in Northern Ireland we've always prided ourselves on particularly in labour ward you know trying to have one midwife with one mother um, and I think in Northern Ireland our standards are, are pretty good, if not excellent, yeah. in, in some um, instances. And we certainly do still try our best. I haven't seen cha- a change in the passion that midwives have for what they do and neonatal nurses as well. I think, if anything, it grows because the more education we get, the more we get out there into the rest of the world and see what's happening elsewhere. Um, sometimes we're amazed, but sometimes we think, do you know what, we might be a very small wee country, but we're doing things just fine. Uh, and we're, a lot of these things that we're seeing, well, we're, we're already doing them, but we just don't talk about it maybe so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think... Um, there, yes, there have been a lot of changes. Probably uniform is one of the biggest. <laughs> now, now when I see nurses coming across the car park in the Royal and they've got sort of blue tunics and blue trousers and trainers on their feet and and uh, I think, oh my gosh, you know, some of the matrons of d- days gone by would uh, turn in their graves if they could see this. But, but you know what, as long as that person is competent and confident and caring and compassionate and she delivers her the care and does her job safely and provides good care for her patients, doesn't really matter what she's wearing. Exactly, exactly. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, whenever you were describing the uniform, um, all I can think of is that, you know, matron oh, image, yes. if you like. And actually, mm-hmm. probably what I go back to is the carry-on movies. Yes, <laughs> well, it was very much like that. Even even the Call the Midwife, it was set, I think, in the 1950s, right. was it? Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I laugh when I look back at that, because I, I'm not quite that old, but... You know, some of the things in that programme I laugh at because we were still doing some of those <laughs> yes. in the 1970s. So, um, you know, it is quite funny. But, yeah, I have to do. I have to say I did love my uniform, even yeah. though it was very uncomfortable, but I did love it. But it's the, nata- uh, you know, <laughs> it's the nostalgic piece, yes, it is. really, isn't it, is. it? And reflecting back and, yeah. you know, such a long, mm-hmm. um, well-established career, mm-hmm. Sharon, that you have mm-hmm. that um, to look back on and that legacy mm-hmm. that you've created. Um, not only in 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 the, the workplace, but also mm-hmm. from the student perspective mm-hmm. too, which is just fantastic. Um, you're a really inspirational person, Sharon. Um, and you know, I suppose as you reflect back over your own personal journey, who do you feel has you been your greatest inspiration, or what has been your greatest inspiration on your journey so mm-hmm. far? I know. I, I think that's been the the, the hardest uh, the hardest question to, to answer mm-hmm. at any time because um, my mum and dad. My dad passed away just over a month ago when he was ninety four. My mum's ninety one, and I suppose as far as inspiration goes, I look at them and I think, wow, they lived through a war. They're just a different breed compared to a lot of 
people I think that are out there now they didn't complain they just got on with things um life wasn't easy for them we weren't that well off when I was growing up but to grow in a family where you did have to work hard for things and you appreciated everything you had and they were just always so loving and you know they have inspired me so much from that point of view it would be really hard and I couldn't possibly pick out one person out of the 40 odd years that has inspired me more than any because do you know what I think every single individual that I've worked with I've looked at them and thought gosh you know, you've come through a rough time, that's been awful for you, or look at what you've achieved, or you're just amazing. And, you know, there are just so many wonderful people in our NHS and our, and our universities who are training and educating our staff, but particularly our NHS. Um, they come into work every day and they try to do their best despite the, the challenges that they have. And particularly during COVID, I mean, in our maternity service, yes, things were more difficult, but I had so much admiration. Um, and to me, they were inspirational, the nurses and doctors and staff who worked in our intensive care units. Um, I just watched the news at night and wept so many nights at what they had to go through to provide care for patients. And, you know, um, I think if, if any of us could look at that and think of the determination and the grit and the compassion of those nurses and doctors and staff, I think, um, you know... Again, so many people in my own career, but I think recently, if anyone have, has inspired me, it's been those staff um, throughout our NHS, ambulance service and so on, just throughout COVID. I think it's been just amazing. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've been there. You, you're you're in that environment, I suppose, for so many of us. We're on the periphery looking at the news, looking at the media um, and seeing it from a very external perspective. Mm-hmm. So, you know... Yeah, it's a different experience when you're actually mm-hmm. in the midst of it and you can see it firsthand exactly what's going on mm-hmm. um, and extremely challenging circumstances, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, amazing. Amazing to hear. Um, I always classify, you know, uh, nursing within the intensive care unit as earth angels because mm-hmm. I, I've had my own experience um, many years ago in relation to having a family member in, in the ICU mm-hmm. unit. So I know exactly what you're talking about, you know. Um, but the last couple of years has been extremely difficult, but hopefully, hopefully brighter times yeah. are ahead, yeah. Sharon, you know. Um, I mean, our neonatal nurses, I mean, I, I have to say since I've gone back in, um, I don't tend to work so much in intensive care because it's when you see a tiny, tiny wee baby of 26 weeks, um, lying on a, a, a table, you know, in an incubator, surrounded by a wall of equipment and tubes and wires. Um, I mean, I, I just think, again, I know outside of COVID, but, you know, I think our nurses who take care of these wee tiny babies, honestly, they're just the, the most vulnerable patient group that there are. And yeah. this tiny wee scrap of humanity in the middle of all this equipment and, you know, drips and, and wires and all the rest... Um, I just think they're the bravest nurses on earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And that, that, that little um, baby, you know, their whole life is yeah. in your hands, you know. Um. And even dealing with parents, you know, you know, trying to support them and trying to care for their babies, recognising that the parents spend a lot of time at the incubator side watching and looking at everything that's going on. And so you almost feel quite pressured that this precious little being yeah. of theirs 
is in your hands yeah. and although you're trying to do your best you're absolutely terrified of making mistakes or, or anything going wrong or the baby getting worse while you're on duty and there's just all of these pressures but these girls honestly they just are the most amazing nurses um and you know I, i'm so thankful we have them because there's just so many tiny wee babies who just wouldn't have survived without the care that we can provide now yeah. um, who've gone home and are living very full and normal lives um, and again, it's, it's as much about being there for the families as well as babies. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the healing hands, isn't it, mm-hmm. Sharon? Yeah. Do you know when you think about it? Yeah. It's that healing hand mm-hmm. um, that can make a difference yes. to that little that little being, as, mm-hmm. as you refer to. Um, and I think it's wonderful in the conversation you and I are having today to recognise mm-hmm. um, the impact mm-hmm. that nurses have. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. Reflecting back again, Sharon, um, what's the best piece of advice <laughs> you would now give your younger self if you f- if you could go back in time? I can honestly say, looking back over my career and my life to date, there's nothing actually that I would change. Um, I don't know whether it's because God has been in my life and has guided me and kept me safe and... I've made the right decisions at the right time and I'm so thankful for that. There's nothing I could ever go back and say I wish I'd done that differently. Um, I probably might say try not to worry just so much. I'm an awful worrier and I get anxious about things. My sister always says you're not happy unless you're worrying about something. Um, And I think I would maybe try to worry less and enjoy life a bit more. I've probably been far too anxious about things that I should have let go of and... um, tried to relax a bit more about but I think if you're that sort of person it's very hard to change yeah. so that's probably the only thing well isn't that lovely do you know to come along your journey and that you've lived that lovely you know fulfilling life mm-hmm. um Sharon and listen you know I think we all have our own anxieties and worries about different times and you're absolutely right it doesn't change anything sure it doesn't no. you know and it's just trying to to be aware of it and mm-hmm. trying to minimise it as yeah. best as we possibly can, you know. I think I might have had my children earlier. That's about the only thing. <laughs> I waited until I was 30 to have my first son and 34 for the second. And I think if I had to do it again, I might start five or six years earlier. <laughs> 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 that doesn't get any easier. She <laughs> The energy levels might have been better. Well, I know. But then it's all the divine timeline, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and, um, and sometimes we just can't, yeah. we can't alter yeah. that, you know. But... Um, <laughs> So you've achieved so, so much, Sharon, and, you know, I've really thoroughly enjoyed listening to your journey and your story. What's next for you, do you think? Well, I am very happy with life at the moment, and if, um, God willing, my health, um, you know, stays as it is, uh, and my energy levels <laughs> stay as they are, I mean, I would love to continue to work, uh, continue to work, because we're moving into our lovely new maternity hospital in the Royal, hopefully next year at some point, and that will have been the third neonatal unit in the Royal, on the Royal site that I will have worked in, um, so it would be really tremendous to celebrate my 50 years um, in the wow. new hospital, and to continue working, I absolutely adore going into the neonatal unit, and working with the staff there, I've just such lovely friends, um, and you know, I'm I'm going to definitely look for a hobby. I think I need a hobby of some kind. Um, but you know, I'm really happy. I'm involved at the time on the board of Tiny Life, the premature okay. baby charity. Yes. I love that as well. So, um, if I get to the point where I don't think I'm safe to keep practicing as a midwife in the neonatal unit, um, I would love to continue working as a volunteer for Tiny Life because it, I know it maybe sounds a bit sad, but I just 
mummies and babies have been such a huge part of my life for so long. I obviously can't imagine my life without some kind of participation or involvement with mothers and babies. Um, my sons haven't produced any grandchildren yet for me, so at the minute I have to be content with looking after other people's babies. <laughs> that would be lovely. If I had grandchildren, things might be different, but yeah. at the moment I'm really happy with life and um, would just love to continue on doing what I'm doing now because I'm living my best life, I think, at the minute. Oh, Sharon, amazing. Absolutely amazing. So inspirational. And your passion, as I've said earlier, it just oozes out of you, this aura of passion around um, your your vocation. And I think that's what it is. It's been a total vocation for you. And the fact that you want to continue to make that difference is just phenomenal. So absolutely delighted to meet you, Sharon. Absolutely delighted to hear your story. And I've no doubt that listeners will gain so much from that. Thank you so much for taking part in the Be Inspired to Be podcast. Thank you much for inviting me, Belinda. It's been lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the second episode of Series 4 of the Be Inspired to Be podcast in partnership with Armstrong Medical. Please feel free to check out more information around the services that Armstrong Medical provide at www.armstrongmedical.net. And be sure to follow Be Inspired to Be and indeed subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. Thank you so much for listening.